Um, I was reading the book of Genesis, and in the book of Genesis, I was reading about Joseph. And I, I, the reason I mentioned this because I wrote something about it, but I didn't include Joseph in there, but it, it, it came out of that. Joseph uh, was one of the children of Jacob, one of the, the last uh, of the two that he had to be born. He had 12 kids, 12 sons, and Joseph was the 11th. He was the firstborn of his wife, Rachel. And he had a special place in his heart for Joseph. And um, I may, I wrote something else this morning about Joseph. We may touch on that Sunday or next week. Um, but um, Jacob's favoritism actually created a lot of problems in the family. <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll touch on that later. Uh, God's still good. No matter what family you grew up in, God's good. And he can redeem anything. Amen. So anyway, what we find about Joseph is that when Joseph got taken down to Egypt, uh, he was put in charge over Potiphar's household. When he was put in charge, the whole house was blessed. Then, because of some uh, uh, false accusation, he was thrown into prison. When he was thrown into prison, uh, recognized the favor on his life. Uh, they promoted him in the prison, yes, but he was running the prison. And while he was running the prison, the whole prison was blessed. Then, because of a gift that he had and a need that, at that particular time, Pharaoh had a dream. Uh, Joseph, one of his gifts was the ability to interpret dreams. Um, and then so he was brought before Pharaoh. He interpreted the dream, and he became in charge of Egypt. And when he became in charge of Egypt, Egypt was blessed. So one of the things that I, I thought about was Psalms 133, 1 through 3, and the title of this message is that the blessings of God flow. The blessings of God flow. Now, one of the things I want you to understand is that, is that when we teach about the things of God, I don't have diamonds. I don't particularly care for diamonds. There's nothing about them that really uh, fascinate me. I know a lot of people are fascinated by diamonds. It's just not my thing. But a well-cut diamond has many facets, right? So when we teach on something... We're not teaching on the whole diamond. We're teaching just a little facet of, of what God has there. So you, you can't make this one thing everything, but you can learn something from it, okay? And so that's what we want to keep in mind. But it says in Psalms 133, 1 through 3, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, what this psalm is talking about is talking about unity. But there's something in this psalm that we can grasp, and it's the anointing of God flows from the top down. And he likens it to the dew of Hermon, which the dew of Hermon is, Hermon is a mountain, and it would do... The dew would come on top of the mountain, but as you know, when that dew would come down, it would create streams, which would create creeks and rivers, and, uh, and finally flow into a sea. So um, anyway, that's what we want to look at. Psalms 133 uh, is, is one of the 14, uh, 14th of the 15 songs of ascents, and these songs were sung by pilgrims as they went to keep the festivals of the Lord in Jerusalem. And the reason it's called a song of ascents is because Jerusalem was uh, at, at, at altitude, and they would have to go up the altitude as they were approaching the uh, city of Jerusalem, and they were approaching the temple, okay? So uh, Psalms 133 summarizes the goodness and the pleasantness of kindred living together in unity, 
and likens that goodness and pleasantness to two powerful metaphoric images, oil and dew. What we want to look at in this psalm is one particular quality of oil and, and dew that benefits all those living together in unity. Like the oil that's poured on Aaron's head, it flows downward to the rest of his body and clothing. Like the dew that falls on the mountains of Hermon, it flows downward and becomes a blessing to the rest of the land. So what we want to draw from this and what we want to focus on moving forward is the blessings of God flow from the top down to those who are together in unity. Right? Togetherness is important. Unity is important. Right? But the blessings of God flow from the top down. And so I want to, I want to look at that and uh, I might jump around a little bit, but just try to flow with me. I'll try to see if I can't bring it all together. So the first point, the blessings of God rests on people. All right? Proverbs 1 and 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You say, well, what are you talking about? You're talking about the blessings. Where did you get this? Well, it's actually the word beginning, okay? The Hebrew word is the word reshith. Reshith. It means beginning, starting point, or source. Okay? Source, like the source of a river. All right? So the fear of the Lord is the starting point or the source of wisdom. It flows from that. Now, keep that in mind, and let's go to Proverbs 10 and 6. Proverbs 10 and 6, blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Well, in this word uh, that we translate as head, it's from another variant of that word rashith, which is the word rosh. Rosh, they get the word rashith from rosh. It is a root from the word rosheth. It also means head, beginning, starting point, or source. So what this verse tells us is that the blessings of God are on the head of the righteous, and based on what we've learned so far, we could also say, or I'm going to say, that the source of blessings is the righteous. Now, we're not talking about the ultimate source is from God, but God blesses the righteous, so the blessings of God flow from God through the righteous, and it flows outward. Again, the word source being like source from which a river begins. So, so far what we've seen is that the blessings of God have a source. On the source of the blessings uh, on this planet, God touches the righteous, but we are the people of God, those that have been declared righteous. Yeah, we're going to bring it all the way into the New Testament through faith in Christ. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. He makes us righteous, right? So the righteous is the source of blessings for those that gather together in unity, okay? So when we say righteous, we mean those who are in right relationship with God and those through whom God has and is choosing to work in and through, and we know that to be the church, right? So now let's look at another dynamic of the blessings of God. So the blessings of God uh, uh, rest on the righteous. The blessings of God flow, Proverbs 29 and 2. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. Now, that's in the ESV. Now, in the New King James, it says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, the people 
grow. So we can understand the idea of authority similar to the way the ESV describes it. We could say when the righteous rule, the people rejoice, as opposed to when the wicked rule, the people groan. What we can and will glean from this is that the blessings of God which are on the head of the righteous and whom are the source of the blessings to others, these blessings are meant to run from the top down. If you look in the Old Testament, as went the king, so went the nation. Wicked king, wicked nation. Righteous king, righteous nation. Why? Because the blessings of God flow from the top down. When we're talking about top, we're talking about uh, um, uh, not so much in terms of people that are more valuable than others. We're just talking about how in the natural, uh, water runs from the top down, right? And the blessings of God run from the top down. Now, I'm going to bring a little bit more out of that, but I don't want you to take the wrong idea out of it that God blesses some more than others because he likes them better because that's not the case at all. Okay, so what we're trying to learn is what we're trying to learn is we're trying, remember talking about those facets, okay? You don't want to take everything out of context, but we are going to learn the ways of God. Why is it important to learn the ways of God? Because if you can learn the ways of God, you can position yourself to receive from God. Okay, so Numbers 11, just a couple of passages from the Old Testament that will illustrate what we're talking about. Numbers 11, 16 through 17, the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. So they're together, right? And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you, and I will put it on them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone <laughs> I don't like that why because I don't want to be in relationship with someone I don't have to be together with someone God can just bless me I live in the United States of America I don't need to go and submit or have relationship with anybody but we're not trying to figure out what the United States of America is about what we want to learn is kingdom principles because if we can learn kingdom principles, then we can position ourselves to receive the kingdom blessings. Right? Because see, some of the things that we learn by how we grow up, they may function in our society, but they may not necessarily uh, function in the kingdom. We can, we can live dysfunctionally with a measure of blessing, but I don't want to live dysfunctionally. I want to live functionally according to the way God designed us to live, so I don't have to live with partial blessing, I can live with greater blessing. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay, so, uh, so what happened was God put his spirit on Moses to lead, and God didn't say, okay, um, I'm going to put my spirit on them as well, uh, but Moses, I don't need you, it's just me and them. No, he said, Moses, you gather them together, so they're together, they're in unity. I'm going to take what's on you, and I'm going to put it on them. Now, it didn't diminish the spirit that was on Moses. But what it did do is increase the moving of the spirit among the people. Just like if you take a candle flame and you light a candle... It doesn't diminish the flame on the original candle, but it increases the light in the room because there are more candles that are burning. Am I, am I making sense to you? 
Now imagine in the Old Testament how they used to light candles. They didn't have a, a, a thing with a wick on it. They had oil. And, and the oil could flow from one reservoir to the next reservoir to the next reservoir. So you light one, and then the other ones that are in position for the oil to flow to them, if you light them, they're going to receive they're gonna, there's going to be more light, but the oil is going to flow through the one that's at the, that they're filling up. And it flows down. But they all bright, and everyone is being lit, and everyone is being used. It's not that one is better than the other. It's just the way God chose to work. Numbers 27, 15 through 20. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, the congregation of the Lord, that the congregation of the Lord may not be a sheep that have no shepherd. Because God had told Moses that you're, you're not crossing over to the promised land. I'm taking you home. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, the man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eliezer the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of, of the people of Israel may obey. Now, we're not just talking about a ceremony. We're talking about something happened spiritually. There was a spiritual dynamic that took place that shifted what was on Moses prior to being prayed for to after being prayed for. You know, you know that because in Numbers 34, 9, it says Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. And then in Joshua 1, 5 through 6, just to kind of cement this all together, God told Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life because as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So why is he receiving this promise? Because he is now standing in the place of Moses. He has the wisdom of Moses, the leadership of Moses, the spirit that was on Moses and now on his life because Moses was asked by God to lay hands on him. And so the blessings of God flowed from Moses to Joshua, just like it did to the elders. Now, we're learning something here, okay? We're not finished yet. Don't check out on me yet. We're learning something here. So getting back to our text where we started with in Psalms 133, in the case of the dew on Mount Hermon, it begins with as dew. Now, how many of you know, have you ever gone outside, hadn't rained in a long time? You know, you go outside, but your grass is wet. Well, how'd it get wet? Bunch of dogs running a pack and pee in your yard? <laughs> Where'd that come from? Hey, we need to cut that out. We, we need to cut that out of the online stuff. And, you know, that's, that's just a slip-up. I don't know where that came from. It's the squirrels. They run in packs. That's what happened, right? No, it's them raccoons, Jerry. A bunch of raccoons run through. No. What happens? It's dew. Right? Now, Mountain Dew. This, Psalms 133 is Mountain Dew. This is Valley Dew. <laughs> But what happens is that dew is humidity that, 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 that is somehow rests upon the grass. Well, in, in Israel, Israel wasn't flat. We live in a very flat environment. But Israel had, uh, and in fact, it says there, it's a land of hills and valleys. 
So what would happen was the dew that would fall on the mountains, it would begin to flow downward, right? But as it began to flow, I don't know how it happens, but as it began to flow, it come together. And when it come together, it was more at the bottom of the mountain than it was at the top of the mountain. Now, I know, I'm not talking physics. I'm not talking science. I'm talking about at the top of the mountain, it was dew. In the valleys, it's a river. Right? You've seen that happen before, right? You go, where? let's go find the source of the river. You go find the source, it's a little bitty little trickle. Well, how does it become this great river? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I'm sure they can tell you. But in Israel, it would begin as dew, and it would pick up, and it would become a mighty rushing torrent. So it reminded me of a passage in Ezekiel 47, 1 through 5. He brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing from the south end of the threshold of the temple south of the altar. He brought me out by the way of the north gate. Uh, Ezekiel's having a vision. And he led me out around outside to the outer gate that faces toward the east. And the, behold, the water was trickling out the south side. You know what a trickle is? Just, just a little drip, right? Like when your toilet doesn't seal all the way and it goes... Right? And you can't sleep at night because you think about how much water, how much is this costing me, you know? So it's trickling, 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 all right? And then what happens? Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and led me through the water, and it was now ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand, led me through the water, and it was now knee deep. And again, a measured, he measured a thousand, and it was a river. Oh, no, and it was waist deep. And he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be passed through. So it begins as a trickle at the source, but it becomes a deep river the farther away it gets. So it's not that the one through whom the blessings come is better than someone else. It's just they're simply the source that God has chosen to bring the blessings through, but oftentimes the blessings I- increase to a greater measure as we come together in unity, like the light, as we uh, position ourselves before uh, uh, one another. The, uh, the Bible says, submit yourself to one another. Uh, how does the rest of that verse go? Huh? Yeah, and I'm not sure that's how it goes, but it's submit yourself to one another, and we'll we'll stop there, dot, 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 okay? We'll look that up later. <laughs> um, but, it's, you know, as we, as we position ourselves together, it's, it, we, we want to say, no, 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 they're the ones, they're the ones. No, no, no. See, Paul says, I long to visit you that I may impart unto you something. Because what you don't realize is that the impartation is an activation, and oftentimes as that activation takes place, it increases the amount of the blessings in the body. It's not about the one. See, we, we struggle with that because we live in a democratic society. We don't, we don't like that. We think everybody's the same. We all sit at a round table. We don't all sit at a round table. We're all equally loved and valued by God. That doesn't change, but we're not all the same. 
right? Thank God we're not all the same. Because imagine if, if Bobby was, we had a bunch of Bobbies leading worship. <laughs> not your gift. You say, why do you always pick on Bobby? Because he picks on me. <laughs> and because he, he's got a, a healthy, healthy um, sense of humor, healthy uh, character, healthy aptitude. And so he, some, if you make fun of some other people, they get mad. So you don't want to make fun of people who are going to get mad. <laughs> Somebody go check my car before I leave. Okay, so with that in mind, here's the third point I want to bring up. Honor, honor positions us to receive the blessings. Honor. See, God doesn't choose people because of favoritism or partiality. He doesn't do that. The Bible says when they talk to Jesus, Jesus said, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the ways of God. I think it's somewhere in the book of James that says that God doesn't show favoritism, right? That being the case, what we're learning here about the blessings of God should not engender jealousy or envy, but should teach us to look for for whom God is moving through, and then honor those through whom he is moving. Why? Because as we honor those through whom God is moving, it positions us to receive what it is that God has chosen to do in them and through them. To honor those through whom God is moving, we must have eyes to see beyond the exterior of a person. Those through whom God is choosing to move rarely appear in the natural to be the sort that we would choose. I don't have this in there, but Jesus, they rejected him because he didn't look like a king. In fact, it says in Isaiah 53, there was nothing physically outward to attract us to him. Like today, today, those that are in influential positions, they can be some of the dumbest people. I'm not, I'm not calling anybody. I'm telling you they have some of the dumbest positions. And the reason that they have influence is because they look good. They're outwardly look good, but inwardly, yeah, there's something, there's something missing in there, you know? And then you have some people that don't look so great, but they got something inside of them. You can tell, right? So as we honor, that being what we are looking for um, about the blessings of God should not engender gender, jealousy or, or, or envy, but it should uh, uh, create a, within us the understanding that if we honor those whom, through whom God is moving, we can receive from them. But as I said before, we have to be able to see with eyes that look beyond the exterior. Those through whom God is choosing to move rarely appear in the natural to be the sort we choose. First Samuel 16 and 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the 
outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So it ain't about white, black, Asian. It ain't about your exterior. Isn't that what the culture is all about today? It's what's on the inside. You can be white and racist, but you can be black and racist. You hear what I'm saying? It ain't about the outward. It's what's on the inside. And in order to see what's on the inside, you've got to see as the Lord sees. All right? 1 Corinthians 1, 26-27. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, it reminded me of a passage, I preached on it before, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, by the way, because there's so much in there. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon describes an example of a city who benefited from God's wisdom once, but not long term. Ecclesiastes 9, 13 through 16. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in the city a poor, wise man. And by his wisdom, he delivered the city. Yet when the city was delivered, that's really the context here, no one remembered the poor man. You see, they didn't know what he had because they were looking at the outside. But what he had had the ability to deliver a city. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But when you don't value what somebody has because of their exterior, you don't position yourselves to receive from them. Had they valued the wisdom that was on the inside, they could have continued to receive from the gift that he had. But because they rejected him because of how he looked on the outside, they no longer received that gift that blessing that God had put in their midst. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This man in whom the blessing of God's wisdom was found had an exterior that belied the gift that was within him. When the city was in trouble, they were open to any suggestions to find relief. However, once their troubles were over, they learned nothing from the experience and the wisdom that was found in this man, and it was no longer valued, and thus they no longer received its benefit. It's amazing how people will come to church when they're in trouble. And when they're in trouble, Jesus is a miracle worker. Jesus is going to deliver and sets them free, and he often does. But we can all name people that have been in here that God answered their prayer, and as soon as he answered their prayer, they forgot God and what he'd done. And they took off once again. And so they can no, they no longer position to receive from God because they, they have gone off 
they're not dwelling together in unity. They're not coming together. They're just doing their own thing. And that's what got them in trouble to begin with. So in the book of Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 10, 41, the one who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet or because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous man because he's a righteous man will receive a righteous person's reward. Now, how am I supposed to understand? Okay. If you don't believe in prophets or prophecy, then if someone is a prophet, you're going to go, ain't no such thing. God don't do that anymore. All of that ceased with the apostles. There is none of that. That's not happening. So if somebody has a prophetic word, then we're going to think, nah, and we're not going to receive it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because I don't value that. Because I don't believe in that. Right? If someone has a gift of healing, and we don't have a need, you know, it's amazing how need will position you to believe something you wouldn't believe before you had a need. And you don't believe in that, you're not going to position yourself to receive from that because you don't believe it's of God. In fact, you have people running around today that actually believe that the gifts of the Spirit are of the devil. Written books about it. Sad, but that's what they did. So people that are, have that mindset are not going to be in a position to receive uh, from God because they don't believe that. So that's what I'm saying. What does it mean if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you'll get a prophet's reward. You'll humble yourself, you'll receive from them. Is that making sense? So if you receive from them as a prophet, you'll open yourself up to receive what they carry. Once again, the principle behind this is the principle of honor. 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the labor deserves his wages. We're not really talking about all that. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that if you honor someone as somebody who labors in preaching and teaching, you're going to value what they have and you're going to value what they give, right? And again, we're not saying in my particular, I know it sounds self-serving, but the reality is in my particular, we're not saying that everything I say is perfect or whatever, but I feel like the Lord has something to give, and I feel like you value it because you're here. You're listening. If you don't value, you're not coming. Right? Truthfully, if you don't value someone or if you don't value what they carry, you won't position yourself to receive from them. That's why we see honor is what we say honors what positions us to receive and honoring someone requires that we have eyes to see what they carry on the inside from God. Remember, what we're talking about is the blessings of God and how they flow from the top down. If we honor one another, we position ourselves not above them, but below them. We don't devalue ourselves, but valuing those who carry something we position ourselves to receive from the flow of God's blessing in their lives from them to us. Right? And we used this scripture before, Ephesians 4, 7, and 11 through 14. Grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gifts. What kind of grace did he give? All the grace that he carried. He carried apostolic grace, prophetic grace, evangelistic grace, pastoral grace, teaching grace. Jesus carried all of that. When he ascended, he gave these gifts to the church. But he, they, grace rested on individuals. Right? 
It's not like I go to church and today I moved in apostolic grace. No, apostolic grace rests on people that are called. Prophetic grace rests on people that are called. Then there's the gifts of the Spirit that anybody can move in, but we're talking about the gifts of Christ, fivefold grace. Now, why is it important to understand this? Because this grace that was given to them was not for them to keep to themselves or to exalt themselves. Wasn't. What's the purpose of it? It's to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the saints to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So here's a, here's a picture. Okay, God, and, and again, I'll use myself because I am in that position, but I'm not trying to elevate myself. God graces me with an ability, a, a, an empowerment, an enablement uh, uh, that I don't have on my own. But it's not for me. It is for me, but it's not ultimately for me. It's for you. And he gives me, now we're talking about, uh, again, he gives the fivefold to be a gift to the body to impart grace to them. It's not to how it is it's oftentimes done today. Hey, I'm God's gift to you and you better watch and take care of me and all that kind of stuff, you know. No, that, that's, that's a, a perversion of God's version. We are actually given to serve you. And how we serve you is by giving away what God is doing and flowing in us to equip you to make you all that God destined for you to be. So let's, let's go back to the, to, the, to the light. God has a certain light that's on me. As we get together, that light that's on me now rests on you. Right? And we all now become lights. I don't shine brighter. We all shine bright. Together, we dwell together in unity. And together, we receive, when we position ourselves to receive what someone's carrying, we value what they carry. Now, here's the unique thing. I'm using myself right now because I'm very visible and this is what I do. But you carry something too. And if I want to receive from you, I've got to have eyes to see what God has placed in your life. And then I have to position myself to receive from you. So it's not about somebody being the top dog. It's we all submit to one another, and as we honor one another, the blessing that is on all of us flows to all of us, and together we become all that God envisioned for us to be, and we position ourselves to walk in greater glory, greater blessing, 
because we're learning the ways of God. Now, it, it has really no, not too much bearing on what I'm talking about, but it's a visual, visible representation of, of what I'm talking about in a different way. Hopefully you get it. 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. I'm done. What time is it? Okay. 2 Kings 4, 1 through 7. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant fear the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elijah said, What, do you, what shall I do for you? What do you have in your house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except the jar of oil. Another translation says, I ain't got nothing. And I believe, as I said before, I just believe he just looked at her. And I think she got nervous. And I think she started searching her house again. And you know how you, I got nothing. And after a period of time, yeah, I got a little bit of oil. And what did he say to her? He said, all right, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Go in, shut the door behind yourself, your sons, and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. She went from him and shut the door beside herself and her sons. And so she poured. They brought the vessel to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And she said to her, he said to her, there is not another. And the oil stopped flowing. So here's the key. You got to be willing to pour even when you think what you have is not much. You got to be willing to pour. And then the vessels have to be positioned in a way where they can receive what's being poured. If I don't honor what you're doing, I'm not going to position myself under the flow. I'm going to position myself by the flow. And if I'm by the flow, I'm not getting anything. How am I going to get what's flowing through them? I got to get under the flow. And here's the thing. The only way that flow stopped was when there was no other vessel to position themselves under the flow. Now this is talking in the, this was a supernatural thing that happened, but it was a natural thing. What I'm trying to use is an illustration of how things work spiritually. Again, we're trying to learn the ways of God. Right? You and I all carry something. And it's important that we not fall prey to the culture of today that I'm here to get. Because I have nothing to give. Excuse me for those of y'all that, that uh, don't understand where I'm coming from, but we, we do not want the church to live in a welfare mentality. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not talking about the natural. I'm talking about spiritual. We want you to understand that you have something. Welfare makes you believe you have nothing. Now, we need it. We're grateful for it when it's necessary. But the spirit behind it wants to keep you bound. And that's not what God wants for you. What God wants for you is to realize that he has put position in you something that can be a blessing to others, but you're going to have to learn how to give. Well, if, you, if, I'm, if I don't have nothing, how can I give? That's what this woman is saying. I don't have anything. 
really? Let the Lord search your house. What do you have? He didn't ask her for money. He said, what do you have in your house? She says, I got oil. What do you have in your house? You may not have money, but you got something. How do I know? Because God says you have something. And what you got to do is you got to have a different mentality. You got to change your way of thinking. You got to believe the word of the Lord when everything around you is telling you no. You got to believe the word of God. And you got to begin to pour what you think is nothing. You begin to pour. And when God touches what you pour, I want to tell you something. There's going to be a supernatural flow. And it might never flow like in torrents, but it'll continue to flow and continue to flow and continue to flow. And when everybody else is in famine and everybody else has nothing to eat, you're going to have plenty of flour. You're going to have plenty of oil. I'm changing uh, stories, but you're going to have enough. Why? Because you've learned how to give. And when people recognize the flow that's in your life, they're going to receive. And here's the thing. There's a lot of poor, wise people in the church. But as the prophetic is released and eyes are open and people's gifts are activated, then the oil begins to flow. Then those that have wisdom that look uh, um, they look uh, uh, like they have nothing on the outside, but inside they have so much to give. As they begin to flow, the church begins to prosper. And they begin to prosper. Because here's what happens when I taught on this. When I taught on this, what I, see, if you value something, you're going to receive what they have, but you're also going to give them what you have. If they valued his wisdom, they would have received his wisdom. Well, they didn't have wisdom, but they had other things to give. So in the end, they would have been enriched, but he also would have been enriched. And he would have no longer been a poor, wise man. He would have been a wise man. All right. So let me conclude. Grace is received through our willingness to receive through the vessels that God has chosen to work through. You can't make God's grace come to you or make grace flow through you. You can only recognize the grace that is flowing through others and through positioning yourself, honor is what does that, to receive the grace that is flowing through them. All right?